Our scripture lesson this morning is from Matthew, chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord, descending from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the gods shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus, who is crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has been raised from the dead. Indeed, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you'll see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and went to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Brad, for that powerful reading. And let us pray. Oh, holy God, we pray that you might continue to send your Holy Spirit to be here in our midst this morning as we gather. We're grateful, God, for the depth and the breadth of your great love for all of us. And pray that wherever we are, whatever we are in need of hearing from you, that you'll speak to us deep in our heart that message that we are most in need of. We pray this with expectation and with gratitude. And in Jesus' precious name, amen. On this glorious Easter Sunday morning, I would like to continue a ritual that was practiced extensively in the early church. The priest would come out before the congregation. The priest would shout, he is risen. And the congregation would respond with enthusiasm and joy. He is risen indeed. I will play the part of the priest (laughs) if you will play the part of the congregation. Let's try it. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen Several years ago, the Saturday Evening Post ran a cartoon showing a man about to be rescued after he had spent a long time shipwrecked on a tiny deserted island. The sailor in charge of the rescue team stepped onto the beach and handed him a stack of newspapers. Compliments of the captain the sailor said. He would like you to glance at the headlines to see if you'd still like to be rescued. (laughs) Sometimes 
the headlines do scare us. Sometimes we feel overwhelmed by the stories they reflect. The hatred, the war, the dividedness, the fear. Sometimes they give the impression that evil is winning. But then along comes Easter to remind us that there is no grave deep enough, no seal imposing enough, no stone heavy enough, no evil strong enough to keep Christ in the grave. Along comes Easter, the proclamation from God that all is well. The proclamation that in the end, God's will, not ours, is done. Love is the victor. Death is not the end. The end is life. His life and our lives through him and in him. The proclamation that existence has greater depths of beauty and mystery and benediction than the wildest visionary has ever dared to dream. For Christ, our Lord, has risen. It's the promise, the truth, that we gather this day to celebrate. Now, the Christian Bible has four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you compare them, you might notice that each Gospel account of Jesus' resurrection presents the story a little bit differently. For each Gospel writer is struggling to capture an event that they cannot fully put their arms around. And so each of them breaks off some part of it to describe. None of them tells the entire story for who could sum up all that happened that morning and the fullness of all that it means. Yet each of them tell what they believe to be the most important part of that story. And this year we hear that story from the perspective of Matthew. One of the striking features of Matthew's account is the contrast between the cosmic and the intimate. There's an earthquake shaking and disrupting all of creation. And at the same time, there's this intimate encounter with these two disciples of Jesus as they drop to their knees and grab hold of his feet and worship him. It's a moment that has eternal and far-reaching implications for all of creation. And yet it is also a moment that is intimate and personal. Matthew suggests that both are dimensions of this life-changing event of the resurrection. Matthew's description of the role that the angel plays, it matters. It makes abundantly clear that the resurrection of Jesus is God's action. It is done at God's initiative, part of God's plan, God's purpose. Just as years earlier, an angel was sent from God to tell Joseph that Mary would bear a child, Emmanuel, God with us, thus setting the story of Jesus in motion. So too, at the end of the story, an angel of God appears to accomplish God's purpose. And as God's action, the resurrection cannot be disrupted or delayed. Pilate and the chief priests make every effort to ensure that Jesus will stay dead, going so far as to seal the tomb with an enormous stone and placing a guard there. Then the angel not only rolls back 
that stone, but sits on it as if to mock those efforts. I love how the sight of the angel makes the guards shake and become as though dead. So much for the efforts of imperial power to derail the work of God. Matthew makes clear that God is the one who is acting in this moment and nothing on heaven or on earth can stop God. Matthew also emphasizes the meeting between the women and Jesus after they leave the tomb. That unexpected encounter begins with Jesus' salutation, greetings. The Greek word used is a familiar everyday greeting. There's something almost humorous about this understatement of this, hello, coming after a person who'd been dead is now alive. Hello. Presbyterian pastor and author John Ortberg tells the story of a friend of his who was leading a children's message where he was attempting to tell those children about the meaning of the resurrection. And to the children, he asked the question, what were Jesus' first words to the disciples after he was raised from the dead? And before he was able to give the answer, a little girl right in the front raised her arm as high as she could, and she said, I know. His first words to the disciples were, ta-da! <laughs> and this great theologian, Ortberg, said, it was as good a translation as any I've ever heard. In other gospel accounts, the women mistake Jesus for the sexton, the gardener, taking care of the grounds. In Matthew, the women recognize Jesus right away. They touch his feet, reinforcing the familiarity of this meeting, the depth of the relationship that they have had and that they will continue to have. I love how one person observed that that word met in the phrase, suddenly Jesus met them has the connotation of meeting to accompany someone and suggests the ongoing presence of the risen Christ in the ministry of the church. His meeting these women as they are en route to fulfill the mission giving them, given them suggests the way that he will continue to be with his disciples as they undertake their calling. Matthew's Easter story makes clear the resurrection of Jesus is a total reordering of our world and at the same time is an intimate and personal promise of God's presence with us. It signals the radical transformation of creation that the inbreaking reign of God brings, but also promises that the risen Christ will be with us in the ordinariness of everyday life. And have you ever noticed that none of the Gospels describe the actual event of Jesus rising? Have you noticed that? We enter the story some moments or some hours after it has already happened. The transition from death to eternal life is a mystery that cannot be described. Artists and poets and musicians and others among us, we, we try to describe it, to capture it, 
It's an event that takes place in time and yet is outside of time. It takes place on earth and yet partakes of heaven. It is God's future, God's unfailing love, God's promise breaking into the present. The Greek word for Easter, Pascha, means passage. It evokes so many different passages for us. The Israelites' passage from slavery to freedom, our own passage from sin to forgiveness, Jesus' passage from death to life, and most important of all, the passage for all of us from despair to hope. And so what are the implications of Easter for your life and for mine? It's the question that we strive to ask and to answer every time the body of Christ gathers. If we believe Easter really happened, and it did, for us here and now, all these years later, what are the implications? Amidst the bad news that our headlines bombard us with every day, what is the good news that is shouted from the heavens on Easter. Easter good news headline number one. There is no limit to the love God has for you and for each member of humanity. Look at the extent to which God would go to reconcile us to him. It's a glimpse of the length and the depth and the breadth of God's great love. And so whatever loss, whatever illness, whatever fear or uncertainty you are facing, God is with you in that, and God will continue to journey alongside you. There is no limit to the love that God has for you, and nothing will ever change that. Easter good news headline number two. Nothing in your past need control you or define you or hold you captive. For forgiveness and new life is ours in Christ. Winston Churchill once said, success is not final, failure is not fatal. It's the courage to continue that counts. Let us stand firm in our faith. Let us be of good courage Confident that no sin of ours, no mistake we ever have committed or will ever commit, no matter how grievous it may be, is ever the last word about who we are or where things are between us and Almighty God. And finally, Easter good news headline number three. Your future here on earth and your future in eternity is in God's good and faithful hands. Nothing will ever separate us from God's great love for us. The Apostle Paul put it this way, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so wherever you are this day, be at peace amidst the storm, amidst the uncertainty, amidst the doubt. Know that all will be well. 
as the angel said to the two women at the tomb and then that Jesus himself said to them, do not be afraid. It's the first and best Easter sermon ever preached. Just four words. Maybe next year I'll preach that as my entire sermon. <laughs> the choirs get to hear it twice. I'm not sure they would mind. <laughs> Do not be afraid. And I close with this. A young boy named Philip, born with Down syndrome, attended a third grade Sunday school class with other eight-year-old boys and girls. And as is sometimes typical of children of that age, the children did not immediately accept Philip because of the ways that he was different than them. But because of a creative and loving teacher, they began to care about Philip and slowly, gradually accepted him as part of their group. And the Sunday after Easter, the teacher brought in a large bag filled with these large plastic egg-shaped containers. And after being given one to each, after each one of them received one, the children were told to go outside on that lovely spring day and find some symbol for new life and put it in that egg-like container. And back in the classroom, they would share their new life symbol, opening the containers one at a time. And after running about the church property in wild confusion, the students returned to the classroom and placed the containers on the table. And surrounded by the children, the teacher began to open them one by one. And after each one, whether a flower, a butterfly, a leaf, the class would ooh and ah. And then one was opened, revealing nothing inside. The children exclaimed, that's stupid. That's not fair. Somebody didn't do their assignment. Eight-year-old Philip slowly spoke up and said, that one's mine. Philip, you don't ever do it right, one student shouted. There's nothing there, said another. I did so do it, Philip insisted. I did do it. It's empty. On Easter, the tomb was empty. And silence followed, no one said a word. The teacher's face beamed with pride and with love as a tear rolled down her cheek because of course, Philip was right. Friends, our Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. There is no limit to the love that God has for you and for each member of humanity. No tomb, no sin of yours or mine, no darkness, not even death, can contain the great love that God has for us or the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. Our past need not define us and our future both here on earth and in eternity in heaven with God is in God's loving and faithful hands. If you believe it to be true, then would you join me one more time in our Easter ritual? He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen, he is risen, he is risen Don't ever forget it. Thanks be to God. 
Amen.